0: It's good to be here. Thanks uh, for joining us. And the worship team leading us in. Um, I we're going to continue delving into our theme we've been doing this summer about about uh, going through some of the proverbs, or not the proverbs, the parables that Jesus taught on. And the uh, how many of you? I I don't know about you, but we're, the the title of today's message is 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 how God grades how God grades a lot there was a lot of there's been a lot of attention this past week about the tragedy that happened with the, the Titan little mini submarine that went down to, it was exploring the Titanic and five wealthy individuals ended up dying um, with the tragedy that happened with that and I know there was a lot of um, people feeling the the pain of that, but also a lot of kind of judgment towards them, like, oh, they're rich, they deserved it, or, you know, they should have known better, this wasn't a safe situation, or just kind of people jumping on, judging them. And it struck me just the whole theme of judgment, and that really, what is the bigger deal than, than them making that, than that tragedy happen, happening, is the fact that there will be a judgment that those five individuals face where they stand before God and give an account for your life for their lives and you may be like oh, hey Hup you're kinda of like starting off really heavy and you, that, would be, that would be accurate this is really heavy but as I've been going through the the parables that Jesus taught and looking at what are we going to go over this summer it struck me that so many of Jesus so much of his teaching and so many of his parables had to do with the final judgment and the, fu- the resurrection of the dead, and the final judgment, when every human being will stand before the God of the universe, and be judged, and give an account for their life. In fact, about um, you know, we, we often have this idea that if if a preacher talks about mentions hell, they fit in this this category of just this caricature that they're a hellfire and brimstone preacher. That's all they talk about. They're just hard on people, but Jesus actually about one between one-third to one-fourth of his parables were about the final resurrection the great the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment so not many not many churches actually would hit on it as much as Jesus did and we may think like wow that's that may bust some stereotypes about who Jesus is but um it really is if there is a final judgment if there is an expectation on our life, it behooves us to get all the preparation we can to be ready for that. There's, there's a saying that's been, it was actually uh, first said by President George W. Bush when he was president in a speech that he gave. But he talked about, the, and this, this, this saying kind of stuck, he talked the soft bigotry of low expectations. And there's this, this, thing, this thought that like, well, if we just lower our expectations for people, that's being kind and loving. But actually, that hurts people. It hurts people to, to lower expectations. It keeps them from living fully the life that we were meant to live. And so we're going to look at one of, these, one of these stories, one of these parables Jesus told. A parable is a, a story or an illustration, an earthly story with a, with a deeper hidden meaning in it. And it's interesting. We're looking at Matthew 25. If you have the handout, it's there. Um, you can read along with me. This is at the end of Matthew 25, and actually there are, it's, there are four parables in a row. This is the fourth one that Jesus taught. And all four of these have to do with the final judgment. Uh, they, so he's like bam, 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 and they all, make, they all make different points. And so they kind of focus in on one aspect of, of what we should know and how we should be ready. So let's just jump right in here. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So this is speaking of Jesus. The Son of Man is one of the titles of, of his given to him. It's speaking of when he comes back to the earth and is then seated on his glorious throne. Um, that, this is that moment. In verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations, And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So that's the basic motif of this parable right here. Is that uh, Jesus is, is the judge. He's judging the nations. And the parable is it's show, he's separating all the people like, like a shepherd would, would separate the sheep in his flock from the goats in his flock. In verse 33, he will place the sheep on his right... But the goats on his left. And in in Hebrew culture, in many cultures, the right hand was always considered the place of honor. The place Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The right hand is the place of, of honor and authority. And conversely, the left hand would be the place of dishonor, the place of, of cursing, the place of, of judgment. So all the people, there's, and this is just important, there are, there are two categories, sheep and goats. We like to think, the, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey and all this and that, but it comes down to sheep, goats, one or the other. And verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So that's just let's pause there. You know, this should give us hope. That here in this, you know, if most of us have probably had the kind of dreams that you know, I've had. They're, they're less now as I've gotten further from school. But how many of you have had the dream where finals are coming around the corner and you forgot about a class and all you realize, oh, shoot, I didn't go to this class all semester long and the final exam is, is, is coming and you're just like cold sweats trying to, how many of you have had that dream? Yeah, quite a few of us. A lot, you, the rest of you are more secure or something. I don't know. You, um, but there's, yeah, there's this, this sense of judgment day is coming, and I don't think I'm ready. But here, you know, and I have a reason, just today I'm thinking about all the reasons I have not to be confident on judgment day. I've had two pretty bad mistakes already today. Um, one was just in the five-minute break, I went back to get a muffin, because that looked really good, and I grabbed it, and I was, I was talking to... I think it was Ayana. And I grabbed the muffin, and I had my hand like this. And I felt something. And I looked, and Bowen Age's dog uh, Luna had eaten the muffin right out of my hand. So if there's a vet bill from that wrapping or something, I know nothing about why there's a problem here. But it was just like, it's gone. I don't There it is. So there's one. And then bigger mistake, I'll just publicly repent. I was supposed to bring my dog to church this morning. I was supposed to pick him up and I totally forgot. And I thank God he made it somehow. But wait, Dog, I, I repent. I apologize. I'm glad glad we got other people that are better friends for you this morning than me. But man, there we have a lot of reasons for us to be insecure about judgment. But the good news is there are there there is the possibility of of a good, of being in the sheep, being on the right hand. That is such a blessing. But the question is how? Like what 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 makes a sheep a sheep? What is Jesus' point here? And it's it's not what we would often expect. In verse 35, he says this. He says, For I was hungry. I was hungry. That's what Luna said. I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty. And you gave me drink. I was a stranger. And you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So this is this is real this is wild that Jesus is saying, Hey, the reason you're in my flock is that I was hungry, you fed me, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, I needed clothes, you clothed me, I was in prison, you visited me. And first of all, this kind of busts a lot of our Protestant theology of salvation because as Protestants has just drilled into us over and over again that, hey, we're saved not by works, but by grace. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. And this theme is throughout the scripture. But here, that certainly doesn't seem to be what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, you're in this flock because I was hungry and you fed me. And I think it's important, it's important to interpret one passage of scripture in light of all of scripture. And so we don't throw away all the other, we have, to, we have to take the whole. And so it is a truth in the Bible that Ephesians 2.8 says that it's by grace we're saved through faith, not of your own. Not, not according to your works, lest anyone should boast. It is God's grace. But then the next, next verse says, and you're saved for good works which God has prepared in advance for you to walk in them. And so if someone really does have faith in Jesus and experiences his salvation, then they will come in. To a different, it works. There will be there is a lifestyle that's different than before, and if there is not that lifestyle, then that's evidence that we haven't actually that we're not in the flock of sheep. That's that's judged that way. Um, so, all right, um, and it's you know it's it's interesting too that this is consistent with the the theme throughout all the Bible that. One of the greatest evidences of if we, if we know God and if we love God, then we will love others. That we can't separate believing in God from loving real people, and especially the least of these. We're going to get more into that in a little bit. And so verse 38, or verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I want to talk about three takeaways from this. First one we've already talked about, but the first one is that we will be graded. We will be judged. We will stand before the Creator God of the universe and give an account for our life. And there, there is a final exam. And there are, there are consequences for a life poorly lived. There are consequences for a life wrongly lived. And there are consequences for a life rightly lived. And, you know, think about this as it's, why did Jesus, why we're between a third and a fourth of his messages about this topic? Because we need it. There's something about the final exam that helps prepare you for the class, that helps you to go through the class the way that you're supposed to. And it's important for us to live in light of the final judgment of God and to know that we will be graded. And really, it's, it's a mark of God's esteem of us. That he's not like we would often be like, okay, just like, you know, everyone's the same. It doesn't really matter. All religions are the same. Let's be, you know, considerate. But you know, God thinks highly enough of us to say, no, there is a calling upon your life that I'm going to call you up to and expect you to live this way. And I'm not going to have the soft bigotry of low expectations. I'm going to, I think more highly of you than that. It's it's obvious too that when a society forgets this, they go off the rails. That when we forget that there is a God, that we forget that there is accountability, that we forget there is a judgment, then lawlessness quickly follows. And you know we're seeing this in, in our society in, in a very real way. So the first takeaway is that we will be graded. Second takeaway is that, okay, that... How are we graded? And this big takeaway is that He cared, God cares, He looks at, God looks at how we care for the least. That's the one point of this message that Jesus is giving. He cares about how, He looks at how we care for others, and especially those who would be considered the least of these. All throughout scripture we're told that God is near to the oppressed. He's near to the brokenhearted. He cares for the poor. He cares for those that are hungry. Those that, that have lack. His, his heart is there. And if we love him, then we'll have his heart and care for other people also. Now, I don't know about you, but I, this, this, is, this is hard for me. I mean, it's, it's nice. I love reading. It's like, I mean, I love the idea. It's like, yeah. It's like loving people. That's great. But that's great except for actual people. Right? You guys, you guys are also like loving. Yeah, I a couple of you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's, it's good to love people. But then it's the people. Like, people got issues. People are difficult. People are challenging. They demand a lot. They seem to suck a lot out of us they it, they take time and energy and they're difficult. It seems so much easier to live my independent life and just focus on me and my goals and you know that's I mean I I want relationships but really when it comes down to like loving people in need that is hard. That is difficult. But that is what God looks at. God looks at how we care for other people. In our culture a lot of times we have the idea that um, that the goal of life is, or that may, there's this like choice between caring for people and making money. And I think women face this even more than men, but there's the, the choices about family and career and what do I do? And oftentimes there's this value in our culture that elevates making money over caring for people. And really, the way we should see it, the way God sees it, is that most of us should make money so that we can care for people. It's not the money to give us what we like and what we want, but it's our fear, but it's, no, the resources that we earn, the whole point of that is to, to provide for the needs of actual people. So who, you know, who are the least? Who's Jesus talking about? Who are the least of these? There we go. You know, my mind goes to the homeless people. I guess when, when the first the guys got here to set up this morning, there was a guy sleeping on the slide right there. There are, there are a lot of people in our society that are falling through the cracks. I think of like homeless, I think of people with addictions, think of, you know, Jesus talked about people in prison, We um, we're, and that, that's definitely an area we should look at. In fact, the reason we're going to Eisenhower Middle School this summer, and their summer school, is because we, we sense God leading us to this group of people. And we know that there are a high percentage of the kids in this school that, that come from broken families, that have a lot of trauma. In their backgrounds, that they don't have good role models. There's a lot going on. Yeah, Ruth, what, you got something? Uh, does, include, like, does the least include non-believers? I think it. I think the least does include non-believers. Um, but it's interesting. Jesus says, "The least of these, are my brothers." So, uh, my understanding is that it does. Like Jesus identifying with all of humanity, in that, but in a special way, he's. There is a there is a priority in a sense for believers. Um, Galatians 6:10 says, "Do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith." And so that's a good that's a really good question. And so yeah, we are called to to who is the least? It's 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 everyone, but in a sense it's in a greater sense it is those in the household of faith. Um, And so yeah, but we're we're going to Eisenhower. Because this is people that are that just need God's love and don't have as, there's 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 a lack of opportunity compared to what a lot of us have, and the, the gospel is needed. Um, so as we're going to be there this summer, walking the halls and being there, doing whatever we can. Um, and if you can't go, if you'd be praying for us, we're praying for just connections with these seventh and eighth grade kids, that God would open doors and use us to bring His love these kids in practical ways. Um, I was thinking about that, you know, where my mind actually goes with the homeless and people with addictions and things like that. And I think in our culture, it's not quite so easy as that. Yeah. Come on, Ayana. In a sense, not that that's easy, but I was, I was talking to a friend of mine who's done a lot of work, like inner city ministry. And he says, hey, you know, the reality is, is that most homeless people are men. And most of them are really proud. I, he said, I would not put them in the category of the least of these. Because a lot of them are there because that is the lifestyle that they have chosen. And they really don't want the responsibility and the accountability. And, you know, the reality is homeless people are held by that. They're going to be judged before God as well. They're going to be asked, hey, what did you do for the least of these? There's, there's not like a different standard. But everyone is and so you know my friend said hey really if you're looking at who are the people with the biggest needs it's it's usually what the bible talks about widows and orphans it's people with without a man in their life in a lot of ways it's single moms and people that need someone to provide for them and be there with them and they don't have that and so we could we could talk that out a lot but there are there are it's getting beneath the surface and seeing the real needs that people have i think Ruth's question is a really good one too because there's always as a natural level and a spiritual level. And on a natural level, it's clear that we're we're supposed to care for people practically. It doesn't do any good to say, hey, be warm, be filled, be happy, but we don't take care of people's practical needs. But it's also true that the deepest needs that people have are spiritual needs. And the spiritual hunger, the spiritual thirst that only Jesus can provide is the ultimate answer. Spiritual clothing of people being clothed in Dignity and the righteousness that comes from becoming a follower of Jesus and being changed. Those are the even deeper needs that people have. And so these are, we're called to serve people, to serve people in in, in all these real ways. Um, And this is really the heart, the heart of being a Christian. How do we, how do we, how do we love others? How do we view the least of these around us? I read an article this past week in World Magazine about people that are, that are caring for, for foster kids, especially, and people that are exercising great compassion in that, in that area. And there's this one couple that was highlighted. Their names are Silas and Micah Peterson. And they're in their early 30s. They're, picture them, they look just very normal, young, simple couple. He's a teacher, and she's a stay-at-home mom. And they have seven kids in their early 30s. They've got seven kids, three biological, three they've adopted. One's a foster kid living with them right now. And of those seven kids, five out of the seven kids have serious medical needs. So there's autism, there's cerebral palsy, there's fetal alcohol syndrome. There's, there's more. So five of these kids got a, a lot going on. So you walk into their house. You've got oxygen tubes, medical equipment, just all stuff going on. you got this just simple couple pouring their lives into these kids. And that just kind of blows my mind. That, I think about what that's like day in and day out. Like, wow, they're, they're, this is a couple who gets this. They get that God's heart is for the least of these. And they've said, hey, we feel called. This is how we feel called to care for others. And I love uh, that the mom, Micah, she said this. I just want to read this. She said, I often tell people, and I, I, this, I don't bring them up as a, to intimidate us because I feel kind of intimidated by them myself. Like, oh, man, goodness, they're like this, the super Christians. But really, no, this, in different ways, we're all called to live this out. She says, I often tell people that I feel like just in my home during the day that I'm walking on holy ground in a way because God's presence is just so evident here. And I often just feel absolutely honored to be doing what I'm doing. I think all the time, you know, that I'm the only only mom that this kid has in the night cleaning up their vomit. Or I'm the only mom that this kid has walking through them with surgery. And it just feels like a sacred space. Because we are so dependent on God's faithfulness and His grace. There's no way to do what we do apart from it. And a lot of you know what she's talking about here, that when you say yes to loving people, yes, yes, come on Ayana. When we say yes to loving people, you, it goes beyond, like, calculations of what you can manage in your own schedule, and your own energy. You say yes, and you find yourself drowning. <laughs> like, "Oh no, this is, life is out of control. I don't know how this is going to work out. They, and we find ourselves, God, you've got to show up. You've got to show up in this place. All right, there's no way I can do this. And God, we, when, we, when we say yes in that way, it gets us beyond what we can do with our own natural strength. We're so dependent on God's faithfulness and His grace. There's no way to do what we do apart from it. And so it just helps Him be so much more welcome here. Hmm, Our desperation helps God be welcome here. I think, and we're so aware of His presence and just how He is so present in the kids that are in our home. As you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. There's just something Something about kiddos that don't communicate how other people do. Or kids who have fought battles that most adults haven't and never will. Kids who have, you know, kids who have been at death's door and still have hope and joy. And it's just really contagious. So I don't feel like we can even be in the presence of our kids without being in the presence of God. Really, Micah Peterson got the last takeaway I want to talk about here. It's so the question, will we do it for Jesus? Will we do it for him? You know, our our empathy will only take us so far. My empathy has become very aware. It well, it's really not that very far, not very far. I can, you know, have good intentions, but to really sacrificially love people in that sort of way, to give of my life for other people, my love of another person is is not enough. But when we realize that Jesus identifies with people, Jesus identifies with people who need him, and he says, as you do to them, you do to me. Then we, it changes things and we can become like, like Micah Peterson here, like, oh, this is a holy opportunity. This is, Jesus walked in the room and he's, he's here, he's in my sphere, he's in my world somehow. I had the opportunity to love him. And all at once, my schedule doesn't matter so much, my career goals don't matter so much, my reputation doesn't matter so much, my togetherness, and control, and having things in order, that can be thrown out the window because this is Jesus. This is Him. And as I, as I prioritize loving other people, and doing it for Him. This is, this is what real faith in Jesus is all about. It's what real love in Jesus is all about. Is not just a mental ascent, or praying a prayer, or being religious, but it's, Lord, I believe you're so good. I believe you're my Savior, the Savior of the world. You love me with everything you have, and I want to love you. And just as you love me, you love people, I want to be part of that process of loving you by loving people. So I, today I just, you know, I want to I, I say, just want to say today: may, may your love increase. May our love increase. May your love increase for the Lord. May your love increase for the Lord in people. And may that happen in your heart. May that happen in your schedule. May that happen in your actions. May that happen in your faith. Let's bow your heads and let's. I'm gonna pray. Pray that God would help us, put his heart in us. Lord, we we can love because you first loved us. We can love because we can receive your love. Lord, thank you today for pouring out your very life for us. And I ask that wherever we're at this morning that we would we would receive that. We would receive your love. We'd receive your presence. We would be filled up with you. We would see our need for you, God. And Lord, I pray that as we receive from you, you would, there would be an overflow of your heart. An overflow flow of your love. Lord, I pray even that today that maybe where there's been weariness or forgetting what this is all about. That you would recalibrate, restructure our hearts, restructure our souls. You would help us to to love you, help us to love others. God, I... Just thank you for the privilege, Lord. Of, I just thank you for the privilege of living this way. Thank you for the privilege of being in a community that lives this way. God, and I, I pray for in just the different vocations, the different callings, the different ways that we fill our days, the different people that we're around, at work, in our neighborhoods, at home, with our extended families. God, would you, even this, this morning, take us further into being like you? This week, take us further into being like you, Lord. And I thank you that as that's the case, that our I, I just believe in you, that, that the acts of love that come from the people sitting here in getting no Park this morning are not going to be just human efforts, but they're going to be infused with your grace, infused with your authority, infused with the ability to touch people, and carry your grace to the people around us. But we pray for even this neighborhood as we're here this morning. Lord, we pray for this, this city. We pray for the pockets of the city where we're at. Other cities, other places where we live. God, would you fill us that we could be conduits of your grace to the world around us, to people around us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, Bluemont family, it's a good life. It's good to be loving each other, loving people. So that's what we're gonna keep doing here. We're gonna, we're gonna have a family meal now. We're gonna have a cookout. So grill's going. Uh, I think we're pretty close to eating. Michael. How long until the meat's ready? 15 minutes. minutes, Okay. So we'll take a little break um, and then we'll gather back over here and have some food. So uh, yeah, we got in the meantime there's volleyball, there's other other games, some great people. There's Luna, keep your muffins away from her. And we're going to have a great meal together, so let's do it.